you would like to follow along with the call to worship, please turn to your pew Bibles on page 553. We'll be reading Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and glory in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his court. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with, with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees and the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 43 verse 10 to 12, Pew Bible 671. You are my witness, declared the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witness, declared the Lord, that I am God. Yeah. New Testament reading, uh, Hebrews 1, or 12, 1 through 2, Pew Bible. Found on your Pew Bibles, page 1115. Therefore, since we are surrounded by much a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the um, pioneer and per perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cro cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Gospel reading, we find it in John 1, 6 through 16, and you can find it on your pew Bibles on page 977. And it reads, 
There was a man set from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might, be, might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The world became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He, uh, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after he, after me has suppressed me because he was before me. Out of, this, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. I'd like to loosely paraphrase Gandhi, who studied religion, including Christian religion, and came to this conclusion. I see Christianity, but I don't see Christians. Now, it may not be a precise quote, and may Gandhi forgive me if it isn't, but you get the idea. The problem with Christianity isn't its message, it isn't its theory, it isn't its doctrine. The problem with Christianity isn't its history. The problem with Christianity is with Christians or the perceived lack of them in the world. This comes down to what we, we might call witness. And this is a strange word if we think about it, right? We're used to thinking of witness primarily in this culture, in the context of court. We're used to thinking of witness as somebody who stands to give a testimony about events or things that were said or documents that were written and the veracity of those documents or the authenticity of, authenticity of those documents. A witness is somebody who substantiates a claim. And if we are avid television watchers, we know that witnesses have problems. You don't have to be a scholar to know it. And we know that perceptually witnesses have problems. Take an accident that occurs in an intersection. Witness on the southeast corner will see something very different than the northwest corner. Two witnesses side by side will have different accounts of details. And we know, in fact, that the very way in which we perceive is fundamentally different. There was a picture of a dress on a website that went viral. How many of you have heard of this? 
It went viral because when people looked at the dress, they saw different things. In fact, they saw entirely different color patterns in this particular dress. Now, paper after paper is going to be written on this. But it goes to the question of what it is that we see, what it is that we report, and what it is that's truth to us. So rather than get bogged down today in the problems, the technical problems of what it means to witness something or attest to something, the fundamental ways in which perception changes from human to human, or the way in which perception shifts in the environment, I want to try to bring it to something, uh, take that very fact and turn it into something positive. You see, the fact that you see something uniquely, that you see something from a particular vantage point, is not a discredit to your witness of what God has done or who God is. It is a particularity of a larger picture of truth of what God has done. Do I need to say that again? Let me put it this way. Your uniqueness is even if it proves to be a minority report. Let's go back to our dress. There was a majority who perceived the dress to be a particular color set, a minority who perceived it to be another color set, and an extreme minority who saw it as black and white. Three different sets of major perceptions, and I wasn't listening carefully enough to note if there may have ever even been more extraneous sub, uh, sub-perceptions and reports in this particular image. Everybody's looking at the same thing, but not everybody's seeing it the same way. And what I'm trying to say to you is that the uniqueness of the vision doesn't make you right or wrong. The majority isn't necessarily right about the color, nor the minority. It is a witness to what is seen that is unique to that individual. And this is actually the strength of the Christian experience, or we can make it such. The fact that your journey with God is not exactly like mine, that your conceptual framework is not exactly like mine, that your perception of a set of events and the way God may or may not be speaking to you in those set of events is not exactly like mine. This is the power of a personal witness. So the very thing that makes witnessing problematic in an accident, for example, or in a court case, can be a strength when we speak of it in Christian terms. Now, it can also be a problem. You see, there are unfit witnesses, false witnesses, uncredible witnesses. There are witnesses who are bought and sold and witnesses without credibility. And so the Christian witness doesn't stand as a witness of God independently. It stands as a witness of God as understood, as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and is experienced through the Christian community through the ages. Let me frame this a little differently again so that we're all on the same page. I'm guessing that most of you are Americans, citizens of this country. I'm guessing that nearly all of you are citizens of one country or another. Would that be a fair guess? 
We have any people who are in no man's land? Okay. So nobody illegally here from an international waters raft that's your country. All right. Well, we want to help you one way or the other. You have a country. Most of you are probably American. But does that mean you are America? Does that mean that as being part of America, you have the same view as everybody else in America? Does your viewpoint make their viewpoint less American? Some of us think so. Are there actions, though, that we might identify as un-American? Yes. Same thing in Christianity. We define Christianity broadly, but we can almost always agree on those things which might not be true to the Christian witness. Same thing in Adventism. It's like a country. We have things that are true as for the greater uh, picture of Christianity, but we also have a witness that's distinctively Adventist. And there are things that are not true to that witness. John comes as a witness. That's what the gospel says. John the Baptist comes first not as a baptizer, but as a witness. And here's what he's witness to. It's remarkably simple. What he is witness to is profound in his culture, not so much as ours, and so we're going to translate it into our culture. Some of you come from cultures like this. How many of you come from a culture where if you have a brother, an uncle, a cousin, a friend who was born nine seconds sooner than you were, you have to refer to them as older brother? Some of you come from those cultures. Jesus came from such a culture. John came from such a culture. John was born before Jesus was. Elizabeth and Mary both pregnant at the same time, but Elizabeth gives birth in her uh, miraculous way to John before Jesus comes into the world. There are a lot of wonderful things in that story, which I'm not going to take time to tell. John is a unique birth, born to older parents, born of promise. John is a unique birth, given from the time he was young to the way of the Nazarenes. Never was his hair to be cut. Never was strong drink to pass his lips. A simple diet was his. It was prescribed from birth. And precedent was in the judges. Samson was a Nazarene. Nazarite, however you want to frame that. I know we have a contemporary denomination called Nazarenes. He took this vow, or his parents took it for him and raised him with this. John was before Jesus, and therefore John was big brother to Jesus, greater than Jesus, you see. That's the culture. And Jesus comes along, and John bears witness to something that shifts everything in the mind of the people who lived in that time and space. He who comes after me is greater than me. And then he gives the cultural reason. Do you remember what it is? Because he's before me. Ooh, John, you're getting deep on us. 
you're saying that the boy born or the man born after you is greater than you because he was before you? He was. John recognizes in the person of Jesus God made flesh. You go to the gospel earlier, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and we read of the incarnation of that Word, the coming of that Word. John's witness isn't just that Jesus has more importance or a better mission. His witness isn't just that Jesus is extraordinary in what he's going to do. His witness isn't just false humility that, hey, my little brother, my cousin over here, he's actually going to do greater things than I am. His witness is that here stands one before you who is the great I am. His his person is not like mine. He comes from before. That's a powerful witness. That's a powerful testimony. Because let's remember who John the Baptist was. Was John the Baptist not the greatest of the prophets in Israel? He was. People came from all over to hear him in the desert. The voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. John was a witness. In fact, it was his witness to morality that cost him his life, wasn't it? John stood as a witness about the morality of goings-ons between Philip and, I don't remember the precise detail, an affair in court, an untoward relationship, an adultery. And that witness cost him his head. What is it that you bear testimony to? What is your witness? What is your report of this one called Jesus? You know what John's witness was. Let's take just a quick look at that passage again and move to another, making sure we miss nothing. John comes concerning the light. Now, this is... In today's world, a bit of a problematic metaphor simply because we're aware of the ways in which this metaphor fundamentally affects or has affected historically our understanding of race and relations. We want to be sensitive to that. We want to be aware of that. White is neither right nor might. Okay. When the gospel speaks of light and dark, it isn't speaking of people or skin color. It's speaking of spiritual realities. It's speaking of what it means to be in utter darkness. And if you've ever been in a room that was hermetically sealed and light could not get in, you, you understand what palpable darkness feels like. And the way in which almost any amount of light penetrates and fills that void you see, darkness isn't a thing, it's an absence of a thing. Light is a thing, particle and photon and so forth, and it fills a space. It does something profound in its work. It illuminates. And so John speaks 
to the light that casts out the dark, the light that fills the space occupied by nothingness in darkness. He speaks of that which shows us the way. Now, are we witnesses to the way? Our children's story illustrated this a bit, didn't it? Here was a man who was engaged in a business in conflict resolution or in helping people who had issues that could be there could be some excitement around. And his witness was that God can enter that space of relationship where there's conflict, where there's question, where there's difficulty. And in entering that space, God can help us to be wise, to diffuse, to speak calmly and confidently and clearly and help navigate a way out of the trial or the trouble that has come or has been brought to us. And by praying and by speaking as one who was a peacemaker, our story illustrated how one witnessed to another. How is it that you do this? I do this through the power of Christ. I do this in the context of Christian community. I do this in the context of Christian faith and history. That's my witness. We have problems when we seek to be independent witnesses. Do you understand the relationship? You're unique, but you're still an American or whatever nationality you are. You're unique, but you're still part of a greater whole. You're unique, but you didn't bring yourself into the world. You're the product of a family. You come from a system. You come from a set of values. You were raised. You were acculturated. You were socialized. And as unique and precious as your voice is, you speak as part of a history, a continuum, a community. We have to be grounded in that as Christians. It's why it's important to express our faith communally. It's why we stand together as a witness, not just individually. It's why the journey of our denomination counts, and it counts within the larger question of the journey of Christian civilization and Christianity. It's the place from which we observe. It's the place from which we speak. It's the place from which we radiate light. It's the place from which Christ becomes real to the world. John did it his way, and the mandate is that we do it our way. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 16. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What do you think the gospel writer means there? Grace replacing grace. Shouldn't that be law? Shouldn't that be something else? John is going to argue that God's grace is ours by virtue of creation and existence. God's grace is ours by virtue of the plan of redemption in the first place of which Jesus is the fulfillment. John is going to argue that grace is ours in the election, as Paul does, in the election of a body of people. Grace is all around us. And Jesus comes to add grace to grace. Even the commandments are a kind of grace. 
Yes, Paul argues effectively that they condemn us because we can't keep them. But if we look at them, they're good. The psalmist declares over and over again, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's beautiful. It's delightful. It's wonderful. It's good. Grace in place of grace already given. Jesus is the fullness of grace. Is that our testimony? Is that what we're living? It wasn't John alone or John the Baptist alone who witnessed to this. Hebrews reminds us of a great cloud of witnesses. I like that imagery. A cloud of witnesses. It speaks in a way in a futuristic sense. The saints gathered, as it were, in heaven. It also speaks of the size or volume, this sort of gathering, this sea, if you will, of witnesses, cloud of witnesses. I like the imagery. And in this cloud of witnesses is flawed person after flawed person. In this cloud of witness is sinner after sinner after sinner. In this cloud of witnesses is one bizarre person after another. In short, in this cloud of witnesses, there's room for you and there's room for me. None of these two witnesses are exactly alike. None of their experiences are exactly the same. In many cases, their viewpoints about who God was was different. They even came from different eras in history, different parts of the world. Abraham came from Mesopotamia, not from Israel. And this cloud of witnesses speaks. Why do I bring this up? Because it doesn't matter where you're from or your family, or your country, your perspective. What matters is that you have a voice that can speak to the power of God and the work of Christ in you. That voice is passive in all that you do. This is what Gandhi was talking about. I see Christianity. I get the theory. I think it's wonderful. I like the idea. I could be persuaded. But where are the Christians? Witness is lived. I preached a sermon this last week. I preached it at Eternal Valley for Brad. And my comment to those gathered there was, we never preach our own, we never, we, nobody can ever preach a funeral sermon for you. You preach your own funeral sermon. And you preach it by the way that you live. You preach your own funeral sermon by the way you live. That's witness. Have you lived for yourself? Have you lived for trivial things? Have you lived for the pursuit of that which will rust and decay and rot? What have you lived for? What have you worked for? What have you done with your time? What matters? That 
is your witness. And that's what Gandhi was looking for. Christians whose lives bear witness to their words and to their faith. And then there's the other kind of witness, and it's important too. And for those of us who have been raised in sort of this evangelical Christianity, this Adventism, we have witness as an idea that's an extension of evangelism, yes? You've heard of door-to-door witnessing? Witnessing with tracts or these sorts of things? We have a whole history of doing this in church. Maybe we need to go back to some of that. It's hard work, it's scary, it's not very popular. But there are people who have found their place in the kingdom because there was somebody brave enough to knock on a door. What's your witness? What words do you speak in terms of the greatness of God? And that's a good transition to our Isaiah passage. Isaiah has it clear in mind. He quotes God's word directly. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. You're my servant whom I've chosen so that you may know, know, you may believe me and you may understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord and apart from me there's no one. There is no Savior. I've revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. What an incredible responsibility. You would think that God needs no witnesses. You would think that the obvious would be obvious but it isn't. Even at a time when atheism wasn't a thing, even at a time when science and religion were not in conflict, God needed witnesses. God spoke. He revealed Himself. And he needed witnesses in the world that would testify not only to what he said, but his existence and who he was. Paul in Romans 1 makes the argument that there's a naturalistic sort of truth about God available to all. We can see his mighty power. We can see his greatness. We can see all of that in creation. By observing the natural order and seeing, this is a teleological argument, by seeing the design of the thing around us, we can see that there's a designer. Paul makes that argument in Romans 1. You would think that would stand as a witness all by itself. But in a world in which we live disconnected from creation almost entirely, that witness is mute. I do have Facebook friends who live in places and delight in going to places where nature abounds. They post pictures of wildflowers and birds and lakes without plastic containers in them 
or Coke cans on the edge. They travel to remote places where civilization has not been, and the glory and majesty and beauty of God in creation is evident to them. But it's not evident to most of us. We're isolated from it. And so the most important revelation comes from the Romans 2 side, what it is that God has revealed to us in His Word, what it is that He's given to us in our faith. Now, what is our testimony about that? I want to just hit three words here very briefly because they're key. I have revealed. This is the first thing about God. What we understand about God is God's selfless nature in that not only He creates, but He reveals, including revealing Himself. He does it through his prophets, he does it through its word, he does it through nature, he does it through our consciences, he does it through his law, he does it through our experience of him, reveals himself. God is the the one who is self-revelatory. Second thing about God that's said in this passage is that he is the one who has saved. Now remember that Isaiah is writing long before Christ arrives. Isaiah understands God to be Savior even before Jesus is incarnate, even before John the Baptist can speak his words. The one who comes after me is greater than me because he was before me. God says, apart from me, there is no Savior. I'm it. I am he. So God is revealed and saved and then proclaimed. Now, proclamation is my job, but it's not my job exclusively. In fact, it's your job, too. We proclaim what it is that we have experienced. We proclaim what's been revealed to us. We proclaim the goodness that is ours in God and we proclaim the salvation that has come to us in Jesus Christ. We proclaim the message of a God who'd like to save the world. The power of a witness is that great. The power of a witness is so great that Jesus needed John as a witness. The power of a witness is so great that God chose you to be his witness, first by the way you live, and second by the words that you speak. I can't do it for you. I can bless you. I can teach. I can encourage. I can cajole a little bit. You have not a lot of patience for that, though, I know. I can pray, I can hope, I can dream, I can vision cast. doesn't change the fact that only you can witness in the way that God has given you to witness. You have a unique existence and purpose. God has a unique work to do in you and in your life. 
And the fact that you might see something slightly different may be just what God is looking for to communicate with another person whose vision is more like yours. So bring it on. Let's be the best version of ourselves we can ever hope to be. Let's live lives that stand as witnesses to God's power, His grace, His saving love, His integrity, His purpose, His, I love this word, and I think it's something we can all get our minds around, I love this word, salvific will. Got to throw one out every sermon, right? Say it with me, salvific will. And what that means is God's desire that you be saved. Simple as that. God has a salvific will for each of you and for all of us. This is what I pray for. This is what I hope for. And this is what I would love to see our church become. Witness in life and witness in word. May God bless you to that end. Amen. Walk in the way your Savior trod. Go forth, go forth with God. May the Lord bless us and equip us to this end as He's called us to be His witnesses in this world and for eternity to come. Amen.